This podcast is made possible by listeners such as yourself. To support Awake Aware Alive, please visit patreon.com slash Jacob Gossel. You know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to trying to be at the leading edge and uh, yeah, be pathfinders, be pathfinders, be pathfinders, be pathfinders, be pathfinders, be pathfinders, be pathfinders. Yes, that is right. Steve is in fact a pathfinder. And he's definitely on the leading edge. I'm super excited for you to hear this conversation I had with Steve. Uh, Steve is the co-founder of PRISM, uh, which stands for Psychedelic Research in Science and Medicine. It's an Australian nonprofit research association that develops, initiates, coordinates, and supports formal research into mainstream medical applications of psychoactive compounds known as psychedelics. Uh, PRISM is collaborating with the U.S.-based Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, which, if you have not heard of MAPS, definitely check them out. Uh, They're doing some great work um, trying to legalize MDMA, uh, which most people know uh, as ecstasy, um, for treatment for things, uh, mainly PTSD right now, but also uh, other things. And so far, it has seemed to be more effective than any other treatment that is available for uh, post-traumatic stress. Steve also uh, co-hosts a podcast out of Byron Bay, Australia with Nick Jeans called Future Sense. It's definitely one of my favorite podcasts, and it's all about um, the kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Steve is also the founder of a nonprofit called Adi, which he gets into a little bit about what that is later uh, towards the end of the podcast. But essentially, it's a network um, for helping connect people that are also pathfinders and on the leading edge to uh, kind of help lead humanity through this time of intense change that we are going through, Um, which... We are going through a time of intense change, aren't we? At least it certainly feels that way. Um, A lot of the systems that I think people have relied on for comfort and security and authority uh, over the years are showing obvious signs of becoming obsolete and breaking down. And uh, we don't really have uh, new structures in place or the structures aren't adapting at a speed uh, that comes anywhere near matching the speed of the technological advancements and the increased uh, complexity that um, comes from those advancements. I think the internet in and of itself has been such a huge catalyst for um, awakening Awakening to uh, the realization of how corrupt our government and our politicians are. Awakening to how rigged our economic system is uh, to favor corporations and profits and products over people and animals and environment. Um, Awakening to the fact that we ourselves have... Um, been actively participating in this entire thing Um, but it was sort of like we were asleep at the wheel 
you know, and we're all starting to wake up and realizing the car is blazing into the ditch because we got drunk and decided to drive home at four in the morning. And now we need to sober up, get this thing back on the road and try to figure out where we're heading. Um, and Steve, Steve McDonald is here to do just that. Steve is traveling around talking at conferences and he's using a not very well-known model of human development called Spiral Dynamics. Uh, and he's using this to, to help understand uh, where we came from, where we are, and where we are heading as sort of a, a collective, as a human race. And I think his uh, ideas and his understanding of this model and of humanity itself is extremely valuable and um, him and others like him will become extremely valuable and important as we continue to uh, make this transition uh, from where we currently are to where we're headed in the very near future. So Steve's going to break all this down for us, uh, give us some background uh, into the process of change, these layers of human development that we go through both individually and collectively, and give us some insight into uh, how this explains where we find ourselves right now in this chaotic time and where it's leading us. So get ready, open up your mind, open up your heart, and welcome Steve McDonald. So I thought it would be cool since um, I don't think the model is super well known. If you could kind of just do a, a rough um, intro to the both the the process of change and then into the stages of development, and then maybe yeah, sure. we could get into some stuff after that. All right, shall I kick off? Yeah. Okay, so the researcher Dr. Claire W. Graves lived in upstate New York. And uh, he did most of his work, research work, in the 1950s and 60s and then continued to analyze and develop his model right through to the time that he died in 1986. And unfortunately, he died without publishing his work academically, so it hasn't been peer-reviewed in a journal. And consequently, it's not very well known and uh, not academically acknowledged. So... Um, despite that, it's a very, very interesting piece of work. And because it's about human nature, it makes sense you know to anybody who's uh, who's got the right kind of mind to understand what he's what he's come up with it make it just makes sense you know if you look at your experience of life and human nature uh, everything that he says seems to fit so i think it's a pretty good model um there are three important things that came out of his work one of them was this relationship that he identified between the complexity of life conditions and the adaptive nature of human consciousness so he used the term life conditions to, as an all-encompassing term, really to describe not just physical life conditions, but also 
psychological life conditions, so what's going on inside your mind based on your history uh, and um, your your basic nature, your personality type and those sorts of things. And what he found was that as life conditions become more complex, in other words, as there are more and more things for us to consider and more complex challenges for us to face, then human consciousness seems to naturally adapt and it goes through a sequence of change, which I'll describe in a moment. Uh, and it, it ends up trying to match the complexity of the problems or challenges that we face in life. And so as our life becomes more complex, then under ideal conditions, our consciousness also operates in more complex ways, which gives us a greater coping capacity. And that's a really important uh, issue to understand because so many people in the world, particularly at this time, want to change the world and they want to change people's minds and they want to make life conditions better for people around the world. And the key to understanding how to do this is really not to try and force people to change, but to look at their life conditions and to change their life conditions for the better uh, so that their consciousness will then adapt and change their nature, change their behavior and their values. So that's a really important thing. Um, the actual change process that he identified that we go through isn't something new. It's been documented by many, many different researchers and philosophers, and it's basically what uh, Joseph Campbell, the, the famous philosopher, called the hero's journey, mm -hmm. uh, where we encounter something new. And um, Graves described it in very, very simple terms, like a, an abbreviated version, where we go from a point of stability where life's fine and we're coping with you know, everything, the challenges that are thrown at us. And then one day we wake up and we feel a little stressed. And usually when that happens, we don't know why we feel stressed. We just wake up and think, you know, life isn't quite as good as it used to be. Something's not right. And the first human instinct in that situation is to think back to a time when life was feeling right mm -hmm. and to go on a regressive search for a way of living that's going to work better. And so we explore our old ways of living. We go back to the way we used to be. And we hear this um, language from politicians all the time, you know, let's get back to the way things used to be, back to family values, make America great again, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So it's a natural human response to change. And it's usually playing out in a situation where we don't really understand what's changed or what we need to do in response to it. And then this regressive value search uh, it starts to increase the evolutionary tension. In other words, the potential for us to change increases because by going back to older values, we're going back to, to simpler ways of living. And in the face of increasing complexity, and we live in a, a world, a reality that's always trending towards greater complexity, it seems, uh, using an older and simpler value set actually doesn't work at all. In fact, it, it makes things worse. So it, it starts to... Um, take us on this descent into a kind of chaotic, chaotic kind of a situation. And um, what that does is it, it, affects, it effectively breaks down our structures, our internal structures. So our, our way of living, our understanding of the world, our value set starts to come apart at the seams. And it has to do that in order to go through a transformational change. You can't make something change without loosening its structure. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, it just you know, it won't come apart and uh, transform. So by doing this regressive search, going back to an older value set, trying that out, 
we actually start to uh, take ourselves in, an, in a sense, further away from where we need to be in order to solve those problems because we're, we're getting simpler, not more complex. And I often talk to, I often uh, talk about this rather as a, a slingshot effect where it's like pulling the elastic band backwards on a slingshot. You're pulling it in the opposite direction, but you're actually increasing the tension on the band, which is giving it more potential for motion. And so it's exactly what's happening in our consciousness is we're moving further away from the complexity that we need, but in doing so, we're increasing the potential for us to change. Mm. And then once we get into this kind of, uh, at the bottom of the cycle, a very chaotic place where uh, usually we're quite uncomfortable and we don't want to be there um, and we're desperately looking for a way out. And that's like being in the alchemist's furnace. It's where everything gets transformed and, and it's in that place under that evolutionary tension and pressure that we start to rewire our uh, neural networks, our body chemistry and brain chemistry changes. And eventually we will have some kind of an insight which comes from an altered perspective that will give us a, a clue as to what we need to do to get out of this situation. And often that will come through some kind of an altered state of consciousness and we can get into altered states in all kind of ways. You know, dreaming, sleeping is an altered state. So it might come from an inspirational dream. It might come from a, an altered state practice if you, if you have one, like meditation or sport or martial arts, those sorts of things. Or it might come from the use of plant medicines. Uh, any kind of uh, structured altered state activity can be really, really useful. And Claire Graves wrote in his notes that when people and societies are going through major change, there's always an increase in the use of drugs. And uh, this is obviously why, because we need to find a different perspective, a different way of seeing things in order to, to make a, a new sense-making process for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So in that chaotic place at the bottom of the cycle, um, eventually we have that insight. There's an opening. We see things from a different perspective and we'll break out. And so often this process is called, called revolutionary change because it involves breaking out of a place of feeling trapped or blocked. And when that breakout happens, uh, there's tremendous relief usually because we feel like we've found an answer. And we can become quite evangelical too in this place. You know, it's, just, it's a classic born again kind of a situation where we see a new way of living life with new values and uh, we become energized and we want to just move as quickly as we can in that direction. And um, then we go through a process of uh, renewal and integration uh, where we're reorganizing our life, we're reorganizing our value set, our, our you know, body, our biologic, biological systems. And with uh, time and integration, then we find ourselves back in a place of stability again. Our consciousness has adapted in a way that allows us to cope with greater complexity and uh, when the complexity of our consciousness matches the complexity of the problems that we're facing, then everything's good again. We can solve the problems and uh, we go back to being comfortable and wanting to stay there. We love to stay in stability. We don't generally, humans don't like to go through change. And so that cycle takes us from stability through turbulence and into chaos through this breakthrough process, renewal, and then back to new stability again. But the new stability is higher up so if the old stability is here we go down this dip and then back up to this new stability but it's in a more complex place so this is less complex that's more complex uh, and so there's been a, a process of growth that's occurred there uh, and 
really this was the second important piece of Grace's research was just to map out this trajectory of change. Uh, like I said, he's not the first guy to do it. There have been many, many other books written uh, some thousands of years ago that really accurately mapped this process. It's just that he produced it in a, a very condensed way that's easily understandable and also in a way that relates to human consciousness. But, um, you know, the, the famous Taoist book, the Tao Te Ching from China, which was written a couple thousand years ago, that's a very detailed map of change, much more detailed than Claire Grace uh, wrote about. Uh, so this knowledge has been around for a long time in different forms. Do you see the Indian yugas and Plato's uh, ages kind of fit into that as well? The kind of the golden age to the dark age cycle? Yes, absolutely. It's all the same change process. You know, it's it's the nature of change in this reality that we live in and everything goes through that same process. I mean, simple things like this, the weather seasons do the same thing, you know. Uh, winter is that place where everything's falling apart, the leaves are falling off the trees yeah. uh, and things appear stuck and then, you know, come springtime there's the breakthrough and then uh, summertime you're back to the stability again. So you can map this process onto pretty much everything and it's a lot of fun doing that. Um, years ago, one of the things I did was I mapped Claire Graves' change process onto the five elements diagram or process from Chinese medicine mm. and it fits ex exactly, yeah. Very cool. So um, two things so far, that relationship between the complexity of life conditions and the ad adaptive nature of human consciousness, the change trajectory or change process. And then the third thing was when he started to notice that people were moving from uh, less complexity to greater complexity and there were like milestones or, or particular stages uh, that we would pass through, then um, he, by looking at patterns that showed up in the people he was researching like the, they he started to notice that they were when they changed they would either change from an individually focused way of living to a communal uh, way of living or back the other way from communal to individual and this was consistent but the places they ended up in after they changed weren't always the same so he eventually figured out that there was this progressive like a ladder um or eventually, I'm now calling it layers of consciousness because what happens is they're not discrete things that we move from to. They're actually like layers that get wrapped over the top of uh, each other. So like the layers of skin or layers of um, an onion, rather, um, you'll have one value set, you'll go through this change process, and then that'll wrap another value set over the top of it. The old values don't go away. They're still accessible, but usually there'll be one particular value set which is dominating most of your life. Uh, and, and often that's the, the most recent one because it's the most capable in terms of solving problems. Uh, and so I'll quickly run you through uh, what Claire Graves called the stages of development and what I'm now calling layers because I'm just trying to get that message across that they're not discrete stages, but they're wrapped on, wrapped around each other. So the first one um, is a very, very basic automatic way of living. It's like a hunter-gatherer kind of existence. And you're basically re just responding to urges and instincts and satisfying your needs uh, as soon as you can. And we can equate that to the original hunter-gatherer kind of existence that we were in a couple of hundred thousand years ago. Uh, and these stages apply not just to the history of our species, but also to our personal history as well. So we can look at 
our time as a, an infant when we were a, a newborn baby and we're really just living automatically. So there's no expression of culture or art or anything like that. We're just basically breathing and living and eating and existing. And then the second layer is a community-oriented layer. So the, the first one was individually oriented. We swing to community. And as we go through these layers, you can imagine like a big pendulum that's swinging backwards and forwards between expressing yourself as an individual and then expressing yourself as part of a community. And so the, the second layer is a traditional tribal way of living. We think back to when we moved out of being hunter-gatherers and became uh, villages in tribal villages uh, and from a, at a personal uh, level it's like when we were young kids in in, a, in family life and the family is kind of like a tribe you know there's a there, everyone has a set position and role within the tribe there are customs and taboos things that you do things you don't do uh, and um, that it was the first communal way of living that humanity expressed and of course it's very a very effective way of living and very persistent and there are many people still living that way on the planet now which suggests that they're living in sets of life conditions which are simple enough that this is all they really need to solve their problems is to have that tribal structure around them and access to, to the basic needs of life. I'm just flick something off my screen there. Um, so from the traditional tribal, we swing back to the individual uh, way of expressing ourselves again. And the third layer is what Claire Graves called egocentric. It's a power-oriented way of living. Uh, it gave rise to a kind of a martial society where power was uh, the way that problems were solved. And uh, this time, it's very, I've tried to sort of pin these transitions to times in history. The, the transition from hunter-gatherer to tribal pretty clearly happened roughly about 50,000 years ago because one of the things that changed then was this massive explosion of culture, um, which Terence McKenna spoke a lot about. Um, where all of a sudden there was all this art uh, and, and stuff that arose that hadn't been there previously. And part of the reason that happened was that by living in community, we could share our tasks. We started to grow a bit of food locally instead of having to go out and gather it. And it gave us spare time to sit around and look at the stars and tell stories and make baskets and <laughs> paint, paint things and that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, back to the third layer, egocentric, power-oriented, uh, it's a very raw way of living, and it's it's the last layer in what I call the pre-rational zone. So uh, these first three layers are essentially about living according to our urges and instincts and uh, following our feelings, satisfying our needs, and the rational mind hasn't really kicked into any significant uh, extent yet. And this is why if you go into... Um, countries where people still live in these ways, like one of the places I visited is Papua New Guinea, which is an amazing island just north of Australia. Um, and they're way up in the rainforests that are very, very remote. You know, there are no roads for miles in some places. Um, people have very, very different ideas about time mm. uh, as, as an example and distance also. You know, you can ask them, how far is it to the next village? And they'll say, oh, Long way licklick, which means a long way a little. <laughs> <laughs> and so there, you know, whereas in in the value set that we live in in modern Western society, we have very 
specific and tight ideas about time and distance, those things just don't exist because they're living completely in a different reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to think about these different layers of conscious, consciousness as different worlds, different realities, and they really are. So uh, from the third power-oriented layer, uh, which may have emerged around about 10, 15,000 years ago, which was a time when the Earth was going through massive Earth changes. Um, Graham Hancock's been digging up a lot of interesting history around this, talking about the Younger Dryas event, which is a big disintegrating uh, meteor that uh, or comet that hit the Earth and caused enormous disruption, possibly was the source of the, the flood stories that are... Uh, everywhere around the world, uh, and maybe displaced a lot of people from their homes, which means that they had to leave their sacred land, go outside their tribal boundaries, find a new place to live, and in the process they were bumping into other people who were trying to defend their boundaries, and that may be why we saw this upsurge in power-oriented behaviour and and large-scale violence around that time. And then uh, the fourth layer takes us into what I call the rational zone. So at this time in history, um, the frontal lobes in our brains came into fuller development, which gave us, gave us the capacity to moderate our instincts and basic urges. Um, we could still, we'd still have those instincts and urges arrive, uh, arise rather, but then the rational mind could say, well, I know that if I follow those, it's going to cause problems for me, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something differently. And that gave us much greater coping capacity. And the the fourth layer is another communal layer, and it gave rise to all of the uh, large ancient societies that we've read about. And it also um, came most likely around the time uh, or sometime after the agricultural revolution where we we discovered how to grow large-scale crops. And, And by doing that, it enabled us to live in larger towns and eventually cities and build very complex societies. And when you have a whole bunch of people living in close proximity, you've got to have a rule set for everybody to follow. And to follow a a strict rule set, you need the rational mind to be uh, at play. And so around this time in history, we saw the rise of um, strict rule sets for living. A lot of them were religious in form, so the Ten Commandments and their equivalent in the other major religions where everybody knew about and acknowledged this set of rules that they should follow. And that allowed us to live together in larger groups without too much chaos. Uh, and the, the kind of thinking, thinking that arose at layer four was very linear, absolutistic thinking. And again, these, the, the older, like Old Testament kind of religions um, are a good example of this where there are very strict rules and really severe consequences if you don't follow the rules. Um, And the communal layers also have um, a longer understanding of or a longer sort of perspective on time. In the individually oriented layers, we tend to think more in the present moment and in short spaces of time, so not too far into the future uh, because we're mostly focused on the material world. And in the communal layers, uh, it's very much about long cycles of time. And uh, we're more interested in changing ourselves to fit with what the the community and the world needs of us. So uh, 
the fourth then transformed into the fifth layer, which is the modern scientific industrial era, which we all know pretty well. Um, if you look at the time scale of these different layers or eras as they played out throughout history, the time scales are getting shorter and shorter. So we spent maybe a couple hundred thousand years, uh, or at least 150,000 years as hunter-gatherers, and then uh, about 50,000 years ago, we became tribal people, and then maybe 10 to 15,000 years ago, the the power-oriented, egocentric way of being human emerged, uh, and then um, sometime after that, uh, the, the history is a little bit sketchy. But we, you know, we saw the rise of the, the major civilizations, probably at, at least you know four or five thousand years ago, or longer than that. Uh, and I'm talking about you know the people like the, the Sumerians and uh, the ancient Egyptians, um, ancient Greeks, etc. And then. It was only about 300 years ago that we saw the emergence of the modern scientific industrial layer. Um, and I, I also like to talk about these layers as different ways of being human. They're like a, like a tool set or like colours on an artist's palette, you know, that we can mm -hmm. choose different, different ways of expressing uh, human nature. And um, most people are familiar with the modern scientific industrial. Uh, it really, in a way, I think it's brought us peak rationalism. It's very materialistic. Uh, it was marked by the, particularly the scientific revolution and the industrial revolutions, uh, but also the Enlightenment. So a couple of different Enlightenments, including the European Enlightenment. And um, we, most of the people listening to this podcast, could, you know, have been born into an era where this fifth layer, the modern scientific, scientific industrial, is has reached its peak and is starting now to fade. So these. Um, Eras and layers within us as individuals, they emerge uh, in, a, in like a wave form where they'll slowly rise up and then the wave will peak and then it will slowly decline again once it's reached its peak. And as it's declining, then a new wave, which is the next layer, comes through and takes over as being the dominant paradigm, whether it be in our personal life or in uh, global society. Uh, so um, just to bring us up to the the fifth layer from an individual point of view, I spoke before about early family life as a child, then into the teen years where we become conscious of our own power. We want to stop following the rules of mum and dad and we want to make our own rules and we become pretty wild. Uh, and that's the, the egocentric third layer, how it shows up at an individual level. The fourth, sooner or later when we're living in a wild way, um, it takes its toll and we start to think, well, actually I can't keep living this way because it's not going to work. So I've got to knuckle down and, you know, get a, a regular job and think about my future. Uh, and that's what normally happens when this fourth layer emerges at an individual level. And then given the necessary complexity of life conditions, people might develop beyond that into the fifth layer, uh, which is, it's, you know, they, they, in the fourth layer, they've been following a rule set, which is someone else's rules, um, you, always from some kind of higher authority. And then in the fifth layer, we start to think that we can make our own rules again because it's another individually oriented way of living. And we become focused on personal success and we look for different options that are bring, going to bring us success, which is different from the, the fourth layer, which is very linear. There's only one way to do things there. So we find ourselves at this time uh, on the verge of a global transformation from the modern scientific industrial into the sixth layer or, or the postmodern era. And um, Claire Graves called this the relativistic way of being human because it takes us from 
the individually oriented way of modern living where we're looking for the options to find the best way for personal success into a communal way of living again that is very network-centric. It has the benefit of uh, the wonderful um, technology that we have now, which connects us all remotely all around the world. And it's very humanistic. It's very much focused on the human experience and human values. And it's driven by a desire to connect deeply with other humans. Uh, And so uh, what we're seeing now is the emerging turbulence in the early stages of this transition. As I said before, these uh, changes come through in waves and we saw an early wave of this postmodern way of being human uh, emerge back in the 1960s and 70s with the the, um, social justice movements, anti-war movements, uh, the, the New Age movement, flower power and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, and at that time, it didn't have the, the necessary um, scaffolding to support it. But now it's the way another wave has come through and we've got the internet, which is like a scaffolding that can hold up this amazing large-scale community-oriented way of living. And so uh, I'm pretty certain that this time it's going to stick and it's going to supersede the modern scientific industrial. And there are very clear signs that the modern scientific industrial way of living is declining because we're, we can see that our political systems don't work very well anymore, our economic system is struggling, and at the same time there are new technologies and new ways of doing things which are rising very, very rapidly, commonly termed uh, disruptive technologies and exponential technologies. So it's a very exciting time. Um, to, to quickly finish Grace's uh, sequence of development, from the sixth relativistic or postmodern, he then found that there was an enormous leap in human capacity that occurred between six and seven, and, and this was like literally off the charts. It was far beyond any change that had occurred in the previous transformations between uh, layers one and six. And he found that in this seventh way of being human, there was more coping capacity than all of the previous six coping capacities added up. And, and that, that is mind-blowing. It's hard to get your head around. Uh, it, it's literally a quantum leap in human capacity. And it's another individually oriented way of living, but it's very integrated. So whereas in the what, clear, what be, became known as the first tier of consciousness, which is layers one through six, Um, there's a very strong swing between these individual and communal ways and they represent the dominance of the left or right brain. So the individual ways are left brain dominated, the community ways of living are right brain dominated. Very, very distinctive difference. Um, You know, changes occurred in this swing from one to the other. As we move into uh, what's called the second tier of consciousness, which begins with layer seven, uh, this integrative way of living, or being human, uh, it's called integrated because for the first time we get uh, considerable um, interaction between left and right brain. So it's not such an extreme swing one way or the other. And whether we're looking at individual things or communal things, both hemispheres of the brain are inter- in sort of uh, intimately involved in that process. And that's part of the reason why we get this extra coping capacity. The, the other part of the reason is that we seem to become disentangled from all of the issues that arise through layers one to six. So 
um, let me quickly go through them. Survival issues at layer one, family issues at layer two, power issues at layer three, um, issues of righteousness and duty uh, at layer four, um, issues of personal success and competition in layer five, issues of social acceptance and uh, finding a balance in life in layer six. And by the time we get to six, all of those things are very active. And so we are living in a very complex situation where we've got to try and solve all of these issues and they all impact each other, of course. Whereas when we make the leap to seven, it's like we become disentangled from those and the, the importance of them just falls away. And what that does is it gives us all of this spare psychological capacity. So all of the attention and energy that we were putting into worrying about, you know, family and duty and success becomes available again. It's kind of like you clean out your hard drive um, and you've got all this spare space and memory that you can allocate to problem solving. Um, and that superior um, problem solving capacity that comes then makes it very easy to attend to all of those other issues anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And uh, because the length of time that each of these different paradigms takes to play itself out historically, uh, we've we've now got it to the point where we've got um, parallel value systems um, at, at play much more than I've ever been before. Like for, for example, when we were living as hunter-gatherers for like 150,000 years, there was just one value system, that was it. When tribal came, there were two value systems, but only for a short, you know, uh, period towards the end of the hunter-gatherer era. Uh, but now, because the, the whole the paradigms themselves are very short, um, there's more impact from the overlap. And also because these higher uh, or more complex ways of being human, like seven and, and eight, which I'll describe in a second, are so um, – they're, they're so impactful in terms of uh, – empowering people to be able to do things and solve problems in the world that, that, you know, you don't need a big percentage of people to be at that place for them to have a big impact on the world. And so we're getting, you know, I've never done a full analysis on Elon Musk, but, but he's certainly, if he's not at seven, he's certainly in transition from six to seven. And, you know, you can look at the impact that he's had on the world already, just one guy, and we're going to see a lot more of that um, during this transition of the mainstream to six. So it becomes very um, complex in the way that these different systems are interacting with each other. With each other. And quickly to, to talk about eight, uh, Claire Graves only found six people out of his 1,065 that he studied who made the transition to layer eight, didn't get a lot of data on it. He recognised it as a communally oriented system, extremely sophisticated, extremely complex in the way that it uh, made sense of the world uh, and extremely capable um, the degree of change between seven and eight had reduced uh, again, so it was kind of back to the amount of change that you would get in the first tier between the layers there. It wasn't another quantum leap. Quantum leap was between six and seven, and then change settled down again, and we got a, a less substantial increase to eight. But he, he described it as being a really kind of spiritually oriented, almost mystical kind of way of living that was very much driven by a, a deep intuition, which I call like a quantum consciousness. If you think about quantum particles and the way that they can communicate with each other, regardless of distance, uh, it's it's kind of like the, that direct knowing, like we're tapping into that quantum field and we're just we can just know things by by direct knowledge. 
Um, and it's likely layer eight is is being a communal system. It's likely to be the first system that brings true global stability, uh, whereas we, we you know we haven't had that yet. Uh, I see layer seven as being like a a big problem solving layer. Um, mm. You can look at the world now and see the tremendous complexity that's arisen from having these six different ways of being human mm-hmm. coexisting on the planet, the impact that we've had, particularly from the scientific industrial era on our natural world, and all of the overlapping issues that are arising, including natural issues like climate change. Uh, and the, the complexity of the problems is going to need layer seven consciousness to really bring useful and, and uh, practical solutions. And then eight will be like the stabiliser that will bring some sort of global coherence. Uh, and it's also, it, it, these layers seven and eight are also opening us up to different dimensions of reality. So multidimensional awareness, what some people are calling in new age circles, this fifth dimension, uh, access to the fifth dimension is, is part of that transition process. Awesome. <laughs> um so, I often find it pretty fascinating to think about, uh, just to look at where we're at right now and kind of play with um, putting certain things that are happening into this format. And um, yeah. one of the things that I've been noticing a lot is, and it, I never quite, I don't think I've heard you yet describe that in the way of how all of the stages are kind of like more relevant than ever, or they're kind of in this equal playing field. And that's really interesting, and it makes me think about how it seems like there's a lot of, um, like five and six are very much both having large amounts of power and influence where like you see um, things like uh, the trying to control like politically correct language through legislation or Amazon pulling down documentaries about vaccine, anti-vaccine documentaries or uh what else um just these things where some of it seems like it's layer six trying to be inclusive maybe and to protect uh people that are more vulnerable and sensitive but then you see also the pushback of layer five kind of trying to um hold on to their power and maybe their uh gains or whatever and and kind of so there's this kind of war between the two, if you could put it in that way. Uh, yes. Do you see yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, if we think back to previous paradigm shifts, we can get a sense of the kind of thing that, that is possible. Um, I guess as an American, one of the more relevant ones you know, for you would be the American Civil War. Uh, mm. which really was a war between layer five and layer four, okay? So you had the the more rigid absolutistic thinking, which thought that societies ought to be class-based, yeah? Mm. And so it had full-on slavery and that kind of stuff. And then you had uh, layer five, which was a more progressive uh, kind of a, a value system, which was about being the best personal success, breaking down the rigid uh, structures of the older layer four way of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that, you know, that ended up in a civil war, of course, uh, and layer five one, because it, it had a more, uh, a higher coping capacity. 
So um, the interesting thing about Layer 6 is that Claire Graves wrote that it's the most peaceful uh, version of humanity that we've mm. seen yet. So it's extremely unlikely to uh, resort to physical violence because its main driver is deep human connection and it has an enhanced capacity for compassion uh, and for um, interpersonal relationship. So um, most of the pushback that we're seeing from six against five is about communication. You know, it, it's, it's being communicated verbally on the internet in, in writing and that kind of stuff. And so that's, it's, it's like an information war. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it can still get pretty nasty, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but layer six, uh, the, the, one of the significant things that changes between five and six is that up at two and including five, we make sense of the world as if we're standing in one place and looking out at it, right? And in layer four, we're standing in one place and we're looking at the right way to live, which is a linear, single linear path of, uh, from now into the future that mm-hmm. we've got to follow. And that path is given to us by God or some higher authority. In layer five, what happens is we that single path splits into multiple paths and Claire Graves actually called layer five multiplistic for this reason. Mm-hmm. And we start to see opportunities to take different paths, but we're still seeing those opportunities from our single position, right? We're looking out at the different pathways that we might take. What happens in layer six is that we obtain the capacity to shift our vantage point. So we're no longer standing in that same spot that we've been standing in layers one through five and looking out on the world from. We're actually able to move from here and go over there and look back at where we've been and we're able to... Uh, conceptually put ourselves in the position of other people, like putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the North American Indians call this the wisdom of the moccasins, mm. <laughs> where you can you can act as if you're standing in someone else's shoes. You can see things from their perspective. You can quite literally feel what they're feeling from layer six. You know, we have this enhanced emotional capacity. Um, and so that really complicates things because – if you think about quantum mechanics and what's known as the observer effect, uh, different observers looking at the same thing from a quantum perspective can have very different outcomes and very different understandings. And we're starting to see that show up in the world. And what it's doing is it's collapsing our layer five understanding of science Mm -hmm. because people are looking at scientific facts from very different angles and they're looking at them with different priorities, like priorities on the human experience, human values, rather than materialistic facts. And so it's creating a lot of confusion in the world. Um, And part of the role of six really is to lay the foundation for this massive leap to seven. And part of that change process is to loosen things up so that we have the capacity to make this radical change between six and seven. And so I often question whether we'll see any real global stability as layer six plays out as the dominant global paradigm uh, because just because of its nature, um, it's likely to uncover a whole lot of hidden things that Mm. uh, layer five have constructed because 
Layer five, um, is, you know, it, it's it's way of operating. It's very much like a poker player in a poker game. Uh, it has its own agenda, which it doesn't share. It keeps its cards to itself because information is power. And if I give you my information, I'm giving away my power. And so all of the things that have been constructed in the world, in our social systems, um, are starting to be uncovered as, as six uh, exercises, this capacity to see things from very different perspectives. And uh, we're, we're getting people within governments and within organi- other organisations who are transitioning from five to six, and all of a sudden, all they want to do is uh, show everybody else, you know, what's on the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is undercutting the power of these layer five organisations. It's collapsing them in many cases. So, so it um, seems like layer five's reaction to that is to kind of double down Absolutely. And go even harder with trying to <laughs> manipulate yeah. information. and Absolutely. And, you know, this is just human nature. Like, if you've been in charge of something and you think it's just fine, someone else comes along and wants to change it. The first thing you're going to do is push back. You know, you don't want change. People don't want change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, yes, we're already seeing a lot of pushback from five. And the doubling down is playing out in things like this crazy – uh, surveillance capitalism that we're seeing, you know, where, yes. where uh, literally, you know, here in Australia, there are scientists analysing our wastewater in the sewers, you know, to try and see what uh, what different drugs people are taking. It's just insane uh, the lengths that it's going to. And, uh, you know, it's only going to get worse until the time that it collapses. So, so why one way it, of thinking about, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, why, yeah. why won't that work? Like, uh, you hear all this dystopian nightmare scenarios sometimes of complete state control and surveillance. Yeah. And wh- in your opinion, why isn't that going to work? Well, um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is that the reason that change is happening in the first place is because the complexity of life has increased. And it doesn't matter what layer of consciousness or what era or paradigm you're talking about, the way that things progress is that the new way of thinking, the new paradigm solves the problems that were created by the old paradigm. But over time, it creates new and more complex problems. And the only way to solve those more complex problems is to transition to a more complex way of thinking, a more complex layer of consciousness. And so it's inevitable. It's just a cyclic pattern that happens. It's inevitable that change will come. And you can look at past examples, as I said, and see how this process has played out Mm -hmm. uh, throughout history. So, um, you know, I guess one way of answering your question is it's it's just the way things are. It's it's the natural order of things. The the second way is that um, if we look at the detail of, of what I just said, layer five has created information technology. That information technology has connected us together which has increased the complexity of our society. Mm-hmm. It's also increased the visibility of things within our social institutions. And it's that visibility which is undercutting the power of Layer Five's way of doing things. Because instead of holding its poker cards close to its chest and having an ace up its sleeve that you don't know about, all of a sudden somebody says, hey, I just found an ace right over here and they put it on social media, right? It was up this guy's, it was up this guy's sleeve and, of course, that guy's not going to win the, the game now, right, because mm-hmm. someone's uncovered the fact that he had an ace up his sleeve. And, and that's, you know, that's uh, metaphorically how things are playing out and, and it's all over the media, you know. 
Uh, all these crazy stories coming out, things that were once considered conspiracy theories are being shown to be actually true. Yep. Uh, and there's going to be more of that. It's a time of it's a great time of uncovering the shadow. Um, and astrologically, there's a, a big Pluto influence during this time, which kind of represents that uncovering of the shadow aspect. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like that is happening more and more on an individual level too, where people are kind of. Uh, working through past traumas and stuff, it seems like at least it could be my my uh, lens that I'm looking through, but it sure seems like there's a lot more talk about people. And so is that something, yes. uh, especially from first tier to second tier, is do you have, in your, in Graves' research or in your opinion, um, is there at all a thing where uh, if you have a blockage at a certain layer or trauma, from a certain layer where you kind of have to go back through and revisit those areas and yes yeah exactly exactly so uh each time we go into a communally oriented layer there's a tendency to turn our attention inwards and when we go to an individually oriented layer of consciousness it's the opposite our attention is get is turned outwards and in the individual layers we want to change the world to suit us in the communal layers, our focus is on changing ourselves. Mm. And so uh, six is a communal layer, so there's this inward attention. Um, as people would notice, there's a, there's a big upsurge in different healing modalities. There's a great interest in fixing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because six is the final layer before this big jump to seven, you can't jump off a wobbly platform. It has to be solid. And so part of the the charter of layer six is to go inside, look at our history, look at all of these different layers of consciousness, and, which incidentally equate to the chakras, and to make solid anything that is still you know, needing attention. And so we're looking at our past traumas, we're looking at anything inside us that we need to clear. Um, in, a, in a practical sense, what this is doing is uh, clearing dense energy pockets out of our body, and the transition from six to seven is also about a transition into uh, the activation of what is, has been called in New Age circles the light body. Mm. And the light, the light body is a more sophisticated, subtle energy geometry that becomes active. It's laid over the top of what's already there. So we've got our energy meridians in the body. We've got our chakra systems. And then the light body geometries get laid over the top as an, an additional layer of complexity. And those light body geometries, they literally embody the consciousness, the higher consciousness uh, for us. And so uh, they are essentially uh, geometries made of light. Mm. Light light is essentially consciousness. Something else you spoke on, um, is it in uh, layer seven that we move to the transrational? Yeah, yeah. So um, three zones that I talk about are the pre-rational, which is layers one, two, and three, yep. where we it's just basic urges and instincts that we live by. Um, you know, if, if we're hungry, we want food now, so we go looking for it. Uh, in the rational zone, which is four, five, and six, where mainstream society is at the moment, uh, everything's about rational processes, and and uh, the mind dominates. So we still have the pre-rational stuff going on. But we have the capacity to overrule it with the rational mind and mm-hmm. say, I'm not going to do that now because I know that it, you know, if I do that, then it's going to have bad consequences in the future. So, and then uh, between six and seven, we go into the trans-rational zone, 
which is very interesting because it's not rational, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to somebody who's still living with under the dominance of their rational mind to look at and, and think about this transrational process, it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. Uh, and the transition from rational to transrational often we usually takes us through a zone of confusion where we're trying to swap systems, you know. It's mm-hmm. like you're, you're um, upgrading your computer operating system, but you go through a point where both systems are operating at the same time <laughs> and you're trying to figure out which one you should take notice of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, w- one of the things that happens during that transition process is in the confusion people often regress back to pre-rational. And so for people who are in transition from six to seven, um, often they can be personally confused, but they can also appear to be uh, a bit crazy from the outside because partially they're operating from basic fears and superstitions, which come from the pre-rational zone, and partially they're operating from this extremely sophisticated uh, quantum consciousness, this direct intuition, right? And so you get a, a mixed bag of information from them and, and there are you know a whole bunch of high-profile public figures out there uh, who are out there talking about change. You know, one who comes to mind is, is David Icke um, who, you know, offers some stuff which is really solid and, yes. and really useful mm-hmm. and other stuff which is just totally wacky uh, and based on fear and superstition. And, and if you watch these people, you can see them over time gradually becoming more transrational so their messages are getting better mm-hmm. uh, and more reliable over time usually if, if they're going through a, a healthy change process yeah. um do you see kind of alex jones an alex jones type character fitting into that similar type of a uh yeah yes i, I think so you know and it, it comes from trying to make sense of the increased complexity you know mm-hmm. and not necessarily having a full tool set to do that and so you, you're scrambling for, crazy, you know, anything that looks crazy, you know. Um, I mean, if you think about it, from, from a rational-minded position, this transrational doesn't look rational. And so you're looking around for any explanation, any sort of process that doesn't look rational, and you're going to try it out to see if it's useful. Yeah. You know? and, and oftentimes it's not useful. It just creates more confusion. It seems like part of the breakdown of the rational we're seeing so much in this whole information war like we were talking about earlier where it's getting to a point where people just don't know what to believe anymore and you see that you start you know this stuff is getting uncovered about certain scientific experiments being funded by certain places or like you said conspiracy yeah. theories turning out to be true or the the whole fake news thing and there there's so much you can basically find a great argument for either side of any topic yeah uh, if yeah. you want to and so it's like it does feel like uh, that's a lot of people are getting stuck in hanging on to one of those sides kind of based more on fear where we're moving towards a time where we'll start to find which one resonates with us based on like an intuitive rather than yeah. uh, based on paranoia or fear or whatever. Yeah, so the way that plays out, if we if we start from the modern scientific, scientific industrial mindset, as we go into six what we start to do is we build a trusted network of people around us. And they're usually people who share our same value set. And then we bounce things off them. You know, do you think this is true? Do you think that's true? Do you think that's true? And we come to some kind of consensus in our supportive network that is useful enough for us to live by because we're surrounded by like-minded people. 
Um, but as that progresses and as more people with this capacity for multiple perspectives keep popping up, um, it's going to get more and more confusing. We can already see that it's collapsing science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that science has been corrupted by uh, the, the sort of latter stage scientific industrial mindset, which wants to manipulate things to its own benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, s- traditional science is, is going to get corrupted further because of this multiple perspective issue. And what it's all doing over the longer term is it's creating more and more tension. We're going to eventually get to the point where we're going to think, you know, I can't even trust anybody else that I ask about this anymore. I've got to actually come back to what I know, right? Uh, And that leads us into this second tier leap into direct knowing, personal direct knowing, which doesn't come through other people, it comes directly through our own consciousness. And so that's kind of the evolutionary pathway. So knowing that that's where we're headed, you can can get a, a rough idea of how this is going to play itself out. It seems like, again, I'm looking through a certain lens on social media and on the internet and everything, but it does seem like um, there's some examples of of that as far as it seems like there's a rise in people rediscovering and appreciating things like astrology and talking a lot about uh, intuition and cultivating intuition and practicing meditation and journaling and uh, yeah, it's all these things that kind of connect us with a deeper part of ourselves that's maybe beyond um, beyond sort of the layer five, getting everything from some authoritative source of information. <clears throat> that's that's exactly right. And you know, to take your example of astrology, astrology when practiced from layer four consciousness is not the same as astrology that's practiced from layer six consciousness. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, layer five because if it's uh, materialistic bent doesn't tend to take notice of things like <laughs> astrology. Um, but if you go beyond five to six, and remember that these things are, are wrapped inside each other, so on the, the foundation of uh, scientific knowledge from layer five, you wrap layer six, which is this capacity to take additional perspectives, then you can start to unwrap the the finer details of astrology and it becomes it can become a very sophisticated science yes um and, and particularly when it gets into second tier you know looking at astrology from layer seven it becomes an extremely sophisticated science uh you know and and a lot more reliable and useful than it is when interpreted from previous layers yeah yeah um so one of the things We're getting close to the end of your time here, and I want to be respectful of that. But I kind of wanted to ask you, um, what is your opinion on how this stuff kind of can essentially just becoming aware of both the change process, because I think that in and of itself is very powerful, um, but also the layers. How can it help a person just individually, maybe just to understand their life better or how to move through change more fluidly. Maybe you have personal experiences of how it's helped you. Um, yeah. I, I think right now a lot of people are looking for anything that can you know, help just sort of ease any tension in their life and help these transitions. So I'm just kind of wondering how you see that. Sure. Um, it's going to be different depending on where the individual is at on their change journey. So... Um, 
I think just knowing that there are different layers of consciousness and that each one is essentially a world of its own that has its own values and motivations, its own capacities, which are more advanced than the previous layer, but limited when viewed from the, the next layer. Um, so just knowing that that is the case, you know, it can help people start to get on with each other better. You know, when they bump into somebody who has completely different values, you know, instead of just thinking that they're wrong and, uh, you know, maybe you should kill them, um, <laughs> then you can start to appreciate that, okay, wow, this person is actually living in a different world than me. They have a completely different value set. Uh, and and just from a rational-minded point of view, that can be useful, you know. Mm-hmm. And to if you get a better understanding of uh, this work, and Claire Graves is not the only researcher who's, who's mapped out these different layers of consciousness. There are a number of others out there uh, that have done what is essentially developmental psychology research. And each model, you know, from different researchers is slightly different, but they're all about human nature. So there are lots and lots of overlaps. So I think that can be comforting just to understand that and understand that that's essentially the root of all conflict on the planet is this fact that people live according to different value sets and there's an inherent desire often to want to change other people to fit with your value set, to change their society to fit with the way your society operates. And so we can start to pull back, you know, moderate those uh, urges that we might have to uh, fight back against somebody because their values are different or to treat them differently um, and start to under, start to become more understanding and compassionate. And this uh, extended sensory perception and capacity for compassion that comes with layer six is very well suited to supporting that process, you know, where we can literally start to feel what it's like to be in that person's body and experience what they're experiencing. And we're seeing more and more of this. And often when people are going through their transition and sort of transiting through layer six, they'll report, you know, God, I feel sad today and I don't know why. You know, there's nothing happening in my life um, that's cause for sadness, but I just feel this deep sadness. And they're, they're tapping into other perspectives, you know, the collective mm-hmm. of humanity. And that's a very real thing. And, and it's been reported by lots and lots of people. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that will be um, – played down or discarded by layer five thinking. It doesn't fit with the layer five scientific industrial mindset, but it's a very real thing. And so one one of the useful things that we can do is to find other people who are going through the same thing that we're going through. And we're naturally drawn to do that anyway when we're you know moving into and transiting layer six. We want to get together with other like-minded folks. We've got the technology to do it. Um, what we do need to do is to try and make it more personal. So face-to-face in person, connection rather than just electronic connection which <laughs> which is obviously missing something and a lot of people are noticing that it's yep, missing something definitely yeah yeah so so the model can be useful in that respect it can be really useful in in having a map of the change process and starting to map your experience onto this little model that claire graves has made and you know you wake up and you don't feel right and you pull out that map and you go oh wow something's changed in my life conditions <laughs> right yep. uh if i look around and figure out what that is, I might actually be able to transit this change faster and, and with less chaos. And, and that's a fact. You can do that. Once you start to understand, okay, this is the trajectory of change. It's, it's like kind of, you know, walking across the countryside and you, and you get to the top of the hill and everything's fine. You've got a great view. 
uh, and you're happy and you realize that you've got to move and you look down and you see, wow, I've got to actually go down in that valley and there's a really <laughs> fast flowing river, river down the bottom. I, I've got to get across that somehow, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and to have a, a map, you know, to know that, okay, if I'm experiencing this now, then likely what's coming next is this, you know, uh, disintegration or chaos phase where I've got to actually loosen up and be open to new ways of living. That can be really useful. Yeah, in the same way that you know, the same way that having a map can be useful if you've got to walk across the countryside. Definitely, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and we didn't really touch on the psychedelics, but I or plant medicines or any of that type of stuff. But um, I'm pretty familiar with that stuff, and I, I definitely know how much of a benefit it can be. But also, um, if people don't have access to that sort of stuff, I've I've heard you mention even just as something as simple as. Uh, doing something totally out of the ordinary, trying something new, whether it's meeting up yeah. uh, with a group that you've never met or just any new activities seem to help with that transition in some sense? Yeah, it's all about different perspectives, particularly, uh, where, you know, that, that's the case for every transition between every layer. Mm -hmm. um, and, and particularly for the layer five, layer six transition, it's about being able to hold more perspectives. And so anything that's out of the ordinary is going to give you a different perspective. Um, altered states are extremely useful, and that's why humans naturally gravitate to drugs during times of change. You know, I mean, it's embedded in our, mm -hmm. in our mythology. You know, you, you think of how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, God, I've had a hell of a week. I've got to go and have a beer, you know. <laughs> yeah. And what they're saying is I've got to, I've got to be able to change my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why we're seeing this massive increase in, in the use of plant medicines and other drugs at this time in history, because that's actually supportive of our change process, provided that those things are used in a responsible way in the right set and setting. Um, you know, they can also be destructive if they're not used responsibly or, or people don't have a, 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 the right structure or setting for using them, you know. You, so, so it's worth educating yourself if you're going to explore anything like that. Um, to make sure that you do it in a responsible way and you do it with people who know what they're doing, not some, you know, redneck cowboy who's just decided <laughs> that he's a shaman last week and, yes. uh, you know, is trying it out himself. So, so um, the change map can be really useful. Um, and also things like understanding that in layer six, you know, we have a, an inward focus. It's natural that we want to try and discover who we are and we want to try and connect with other people more deeply we want to heal ourselves and all of these things are things that you can anticipate you know by by checking uh, claire Graves's work it's unfortunate there's not a lot of good material out there source material uh on graves at the moment uh, i don't know whether you caught my recent podcast where i mentioned what the latest book that's come out was just uh published last year and uh it's a really really good summary of his work and his model for someone who is unfamiliar with it you know this would be a great introduction very cool yeah. claire w graves his life and his work. His life and his work That's, yeah that that just came out recently yeah it was only published last year in fact i haven't even finished reading it yet i'm just um, i'm about sort of three quarters of the way through it but it's a really solid little condensed version of uh his work his research and, and the findings that he made what yeah. what layer do you think claire was at uh, he's on record as saying that, you know, he's got a lot of red layer three, <laughs> but, but I think he was a really humble guy and, you know, for him to be able to document a multi-dimensional model, he must have had some second tier, uh, consciousness going on there. I've got no doubt just the way that, um, you know, he, his pattern recognition worked as he was doing the analysis and, uh, he displayed 
at least layer six consciousness in that he realized that his own perspective on the data was going to skew it. And so he had a, a group of seven peers, academic peers, that he asked to also look at the data. And without giving them any direction, he just said, take a look at this data and tell me, you know, what you see in it, if you see any patterns or anything. Uh, and so that was a very layer six approach to doing that. And, um, you know, it's quite likely, I think, that he had some second-tier layer seven consciousness at play as well, just because of the sophistication of his findings. Yeah, it seems like to come up with a model like that and be able to see all those layers, you kind of have to be at that integral. That's right, yeah. Do you see more and more people, I think, even if it's not necessarily Claire's model specifically, you're going to start to see this sort of understanding come up more and more, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, developmental psychology is one field uh, which is particularly oriented towards that second-tier multidimensional understanding. Uh, quantum mechanics is another one. And, you know, mm. we're seeing a rise in discussions about quantum mechanics and how they impact our reality and our life. Um, so these sorts of things that are multidimensional in nature, we're gonna, only going to see an increase here. Awesome. Yeah, when I first started checking out your stuff, I was... I, I had heard of uh, this stuff through Ken Wilber um, years ago, mm-hmm. but at that time I, I thought it was interesting, but it didn't quite strike me as much as it has in the last couple of years, maybe because I'm in a transition or whatever. But yeah, uh, most likely. Yeah, yeah it really. I, I'm just shocked at why it's not more widely out there because it it really blows my mind, and it I just see it around me every day, you know. It yeah, really, it really seems to match up. It's really interesting because to to really understand the multi-dimensional nature of the the model or the theory, you have to have some at least second-tier consciousness at play. So for people who are in transition, you know, they they might still be mostly in layer six, but they're just starting to get glimpses into the multi-dimensional nature of layer seven consciousness. Um, they're the people that are really going to have their minds blown and are really going to go, whoa, okay, wow, this is much bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. And it's much bigger than you thought it was because when you were thinking before, you weren't thinking from that complexity, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate you doing this. It was great, and um, I could talk to you forever. Um, do you have any cool things coming up? I know you do some uh, talks at conferences, or where can people uh, check out more of your work, and uh, you know, what are you up to in the future? Sure. Um, yeah, my uh, personal website is emanate.net, so that's E-M-A-N figure eight net, and they can find videos of my uh, various talks around the place there. Um, I did a talk in Zurich, Switzerland last year, which is on my website now. You'll find it on the, the front page, and uh, it's it's my latest and greatest version of, uh, you know, explaining Claire Graves' work in 40 minutes. Awesome. Um, so, so it's a good introduction. Uh, what have I got coming up? I'm working on a really big project that uh, was seeded in 2005. So it's a long-term project. It's about supporting global scale consciousness change. And it started to gather momentum in the last few years when I, when I first uh, envisioned it back then. Which, which really came in an inspirational way. Um, I couldn't see how it was going to happen, to be honest with you. And, and so I kind of took it with a grain of salt. And over the years, things have started to fall into place. And I'm now fully convinced that, okay, this is actually going to happen. Uh, and it's multifaceted. So it's about technologies for developing consciousness uh, in one respect. So it's about finding ways that we can accelerate human development. 
And part of that, of course, is looking at tools like uh, altered state things, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, psychedelics and, and other altered state technologies um, and you know, ways that we can smooth this change process so that it's easier to navigate, you can navigate it faster, uh, you can integrate better. And the, the idea is that we're facing so many challenges at a global level now, the, the only way that we're going to resolve them is through second-tier consciousness. And the more people that we have at second-tier consciousness, the smoother the ride is going to be. Uh, and so it's important to find these technologies and to roll them out so that people have got access to places much like they did back, if you think back to um, layer four and ancient Greek, ancient Egyptian societies where there were temples where you could go, where there were specialists in consciousness. And uh, with the second tier leap, we're seeing this integration of science and spirituality. So, you know, we look back at historically and we say, oh, it wasn't all that religion, you know, but actually, you know, it's just a, another perspective on reality. Kind of like uh, the, uh, uh, a new version of a mystery school. Yes, kind, exactly, kind of. Ex- exactly. So that's that's one of the, the the facets of this project is to really bring back that aspect of society where there is a temple or whatever you want to call it in the local town, and you can go there, and there'll be specialists there who know about consciousness and developing consciousness, and you can you know do whatever you want to do in terms of developing yourself there. Uh, so that's one aspect, um, and I've been working a lot on that over the past five or six years, uh, really immersing myself in uh, the technology of plant medicines and, and psychedelics in general. Uh, I'm co-founder of a psychedelic research organisation here in Australia, um, and uh, that, that interest is going to continue. And another facet of this project, and incidentally, the project that I'm talking about uh, is called RD, that's double A, D, double I, and that stands for the Agency for Advanced Development of Integrative Intelligence. Mm. Um, RD is also it's a, developed from a Sanskrit word, which means uh, the beginning or to shine light upon, like a new dawn. Very cool. Um, and so another aspect of, that, of the RD project is to create a, a network platform that will be internet-based, which is kind of like training wheels for... Uh, the development of um, our own inherent interdimensional communication technologies. Mm. Uh, But the idea is to create a network platform, in other words, a platform where people can come and use the latest technology to run their own networks in a more efficient way. And it will be a values-oriented platform. So the platform is being specifically designed for anybody who is working to support the consciousness shift globally or locally, right? And you can join it as an individual or as a group. So there'll be like an umbrella network where everybody can just be there as individuals and there'll be ways of bringing your own network. So if you're running an institute or a school or a business or whatever and it happens to be oriented towards shifting consciousness, then uh, you can jump on the platform, use the technology, which will be mainly driven by mobile, uh, and... um, At the same time, you'll see all the other networks on the platform and individuals. And so it's going to, the idea is that it will enhance visibility globally so we can see everyone else, all the other organizations more easily that are all working towards the same outcome, whether it be across different disciplines or the same discipline. You know, uh, people will come from all walks of life, whether they be techies or, you know, psychologists or whatever. Um, And uh, in the process of, of, 
occupying this platform, there'll be greater visibility, uh, collaboration will be easier, and we all we ought to be able to accelerate uh, the development of consciousness globally and also uh, the change, the transition from one value system to the next value system uh, ought to be smoothed out, you know, a, a reduction of social turbulence. Because without that kind of um, common platform, we're in for a very rough ride over the next couple of decades as we go through these, not just one paradigm shift, but multiple paradigm shifts occurring simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I guess those two things are, are the key aspects of the RD project. There's an educational element, which you've already really addressed, you know, uh, we need to get this information out there uh, and, and that'll have a, a media arm. Uh, which is being headed up by Mitch Schultz, who is mm. uh, the di- director of DNT, the spirit molecule, who's a, a close colleague of mine. Um, and uh, we'll also have uh, research and development functions, you know, where we can help develop new technologies. Um, and uh, there's a futurist element also. So um, using this technology and the map that Claire Grave gave, gave us to, to look forward into the future, and anticipate what's coming. Uh, and we can certainly do that already in terms of knowing what the themes of the change are going to be. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with further dedication, we can improve the, our capacity to anticipate the future and, again, smooth the turbulence as we go through this change process. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Well, um, I could get into so much more stuff with you. Um, so if you're ever yeah, willing to come on again, yeah. I'll do my part to, to spread the word. <laughs> I've really enjoyed talking to you, so I'm happy to do another uh, podcast sometime if you want. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'm, I I listen yeah. to your uh, future sense, and that's another thing people should know about. I'll go over some stuff in the intro, and I'll sure. put links in the in the notes. But um, future yeah. sense is a great podcast. Uh, Thank you. Every every week, a new episode comes out. Yeah, right? every week. So so we actually do it as a live radio show here in Byron Bay, mm-hmm. and uh, we we just record the radio show, and then. Uh, we have a guy in uh, Bosnia who edits out the music and uh, okay. uh, promotional announcements and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then we put out the, the basic discussion as a podcast, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's nothing else quite like it out there yet, I don't think. So. No, and that, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, trying to be at the leading edge and, uh, yeah, be pathfinders. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. again, Steve. Thanks, Jacob. It's great, great to talk to you, mate. You have been listening to Awake, Aware, Alive with your host, Jacob Gossel. If you would like to support this podcast, head to patreon.com slash Jacob Gossel and throw me a buck a month because I want to do more of these and I need your help. Thank you.